This is one-on-one's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. Welcome back to another episode of Five on Three, WFUV's NHL podcast, alongside once again Mike Messina. I'm Chris Hennessy. Mike, uh, a little bit of a cooler news cycle this week for the NHL, but we do have uh, some local stuff to talk about, but nothing of the drama surrounding last week's episode with Panarin and the outdoor games, but uh, good hockey being played uh, here in New York. Yeah, of course. Great hockey being played here. And now that all three local teams are starting to allow fans, I think, I, I think the media is going to be on top of it more covering the sport more, and maybe we'll be able to see it more on ESPN. Like we all want, but we never get, so we'll see. But I was, I, I was fortunate enough to go, cover the Rangers game on Friday against the Bruins for the first time in almost a full year that they had fans. And even with the 2000 fans that were inside of the garden, it was an astronomical difference. It Mm -hmm. was super loud, like much louder than I thought it was going to be starting from the national anthem. And then they did a moment of silence. And of course, everyone just started screaming Boston sucks during it. So that they had to make an announcement saying, saying not to do that, but, but the, the fans made a huge impact on the game. It, it's crazy. Obviously they won six, two. So the, the fans are great, man. I loved it. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned the fans, um, you know, as we've lived in a pandemic world for almost a, an exact year now, um, I was thinking back on March 7th, which, which was the last day that Rangers, the Rangers had fans in the building it was also the last day the Islanders had fans in the building. And I was at both the games for FUV. I don't know how that happened. It's uh, I, I was covering the Islanders game and somebody said, Hey, can you cover the Rangers game? And I said, sure. A couple extra bucks, no big deal. And um, I got home that night and I realized that that was going to be the last time I was in an NHL arena for a while. By that time it was pretty uh, apparent what was going to happen. But I remember uh, you put out the tweet that said, you know, first time since March 7th with fans. And when the Islanders have fans on the 18th, that'll be the first time since March 7th that they'll have fans. Um, And a lot has happened especially for the Islanders, but for all, all three teams since the fans. I mean, J.G. Pajot has played like two games as an Islander in front of fans because they went on the road right after that, and that's it's a little bit more than two. But but that's it. You think about he, – he's been an Islander for over a year. He's played like less than five games in front of fans at the Coliseum, which is um, pretty wild. But we'll start with the Rangers because uh, we're on that track now. Uh, the Bruins got absolute curb stomped on their, on their trip down to New York. They lose to the Islanders on Thursday. We'll touch on that, but then they lose to the Rangers on Friday night, which was the first game with fans at the at Madison square garden, six to two. This Bruins team comes in really hot top of the Eastern division. Uh, and they get, they, I mean, they just got killed, um, all weekend here. So I'm curious what your thoughts were watching that game and, and seeing a Ranger team thoroughly dominate really the entire game, especially the third period. Yeah, that one was pretty special because that was the first game I got to cover as a member of WFUV Sports that had fans on it. I went to two previous games, one against the Bruins, one against the Penguins. No fans. So like you, you could hear the broadcasters, you could hear Sam Rosen screaming, it's a power play goal. So, so I, I thought that was, was pretty cool. And then now that there's fans and get to see their reactions, get to see what, what they think is going on and just hearing that, hearing the roar from the crowd, even though it's only 2000 fans um, that really helped the team. Obviously they won six, two and 
two goals in 12 seconds to start the second period. So I'm sorry to end the second period. So that really gave them the momentum going into the third period, Boston, their defense is phenomenal. We all know that. And they just really couldn't stay on their skates the entire game. They were going in and out of them, getting pucks on net, passing the pucks. Great. Getting it off the board. So the Rangers really played well and they showed their potential, man, that they showed that they are able to compete with the top teams in each division but it's injuries, COVID. Thank, thankfully, we have Hedo coming back tonight to be able to play. Um, but that, that's a game they have to play that way. Every time they play, every time they touch the, ice, touch the ice, they should have that same exact energy because that was a whole different atmosphere. I'm not sure if, if it was first game back with fans jitters or anything like that, but, but they played to their full potential that game, and, and it obviously paid off for them. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clearly the best game they've played all season. Um, and yeah, I mean, you could take something away that the Bruins had just just gotten destroyed by the Islanders and they came in the next day. But I mean, yeah, you said it perfectly. It was a lot of really good play. It's the best game they've played so far. You know, it, it's far. not not really even close. Um, and Georgiev got the win in that one. Um, and both Shosturkin and Georgiev, as we've said multiple times now, are playing well. Uh, it's really about the offense stepping up. And they did do that on, in Friday's game. They didn't do that. They did not do that. However, in Sunday's game against Boston, Boston bounces back, wins four to one, two Charlie Coyle goals, and Chesterkin gets the loss. I mean, I think that the Bruins are just a better team than the Rangers. So you're not going to have a. I think we've talked about how this schedule is going to be very interesting um, for a lot of reasons. You know, I think hockey has so much more parity in it than baseball does, which makes this kind of schedule really, really interesting where a team like Boston can split can split against the Rangers. When re, in reality, the Bruins are just a significantly better team than the Rangers. The Bruins are going to be the number one seed in the East, potentially the number two or three seed overall in the conference, or in the league, I should say. And the Rangers probably aren't going to make the playoffs, but the Rangers are able to beat them 6-2. to two. And that's why I think that this schedule is really fascinating. We're playing all, all the teams, all, all the same teams all year long, playing them in multiple days in a row. Um, and that's kind of what we saw uh, – Friday, Sunday for Bruins Rangers and Saturday, Sunday for Islanders Penguins too um, with splits of those two games. Um, but we talked about the Rangers offense and a player that has been rumored to be traded soon is Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel is being paid $10 million a year for the next six years, two more years on no, no trade clause until the last four years, he has a full no move clause. So if the Sabres want to move him. They should probably do it now before he gets that control. Um, he signed the big contract. So did Jeff Skinner to try and right the ship in Buffalo. And it has been an absolute disaster this year. Um, there's no reason why we should doubt that he wants out. My doubt is that the Rangers have the package, the salary cap, or the desire to go and get him. I'm sure that you would love to go to your local Dick Sporting Goods and purchase a Jack Eichel jersey. But how realistic is it in your eyes that that the Rangers land uh, land Eichel? Yeah, I was already thinking that, thinking that this morning that I can't wait to get a jersey if it does happen. And I think it's very possible. They obviously have the pieces with having the number one overall pick this year and the number two overall pick last year. So, And they have a bunch of young prospects, but the young prospects isn't going to get Eichel to New York. They're going to be asking for – either Lafreniere or Kako. And I don't think they're giving up 
Alexi Lafreniere after playing, what is it, 17, 18, something, 18 games so far this season. Right. Yeah, he hasn't produced, but he's on the right track. Mm-hmm. I think it was three points in his last four games or two points in his last three games. And he, he, he's starting to play like like he wanted to start the season off. He, he's played 18 National Hockey League games. He is young. He is very talented. And I don't think the Rangers are going to be ready to give up on him this early in his career, even though Jack Eichel is obviously established and such a star in him pairing up with Panarin would that that line would just it would light the world here on to here it would be amazing there's no question about that 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 a combination of Jack Eichel and Artem Panarin would light the world on fire whether it's this year or next year because both of them are signed for a long time I think if if Buffalo is on the other end of the phone and says Alexi you hang it up I don't think that there's any question about that they're not. They're, um, I, I don't. I don't think they're. They're shopping Alexi Lafreniere for really anybody right now. This early in his career, I would even say that about Kako as well. Honestly, um, I think the most realistic piece to go is uh, Zibanejad because first off, you're getting a, a top center in Jack Eichel to come back, so you're not losing. You're gaining in that position. You're adding a lot of money onto the salary cap with the ten million dollar hit that he takes they brings along with him and Zibanejad would kind of help cut that a little bit he has a lot of value for Buffalo for Buffalo he can kind of ride out his career there it would be very unfortunate for Mika who started his career on a terrible Ottawa team to then finish it on a terrible Buffalo team um or rebuilding Buffalo team I should say that's also terrible um but that that's kind of what the most realistic option is in my eyes obviously there would be two first round picks at least added on to that uh, if you want to, if you want to really hammer it out, um, and there'd probably be a couple more prospects because Jack Eichel is one of those franchise-changing players in the NHL um, that we get very few of, and very rarely do we ever talk about trading them, um, even when they're in the worst, worst of situations, like we've talked about with Conor McDavid for a number of years now. So I think he is in a terrible, terrible situation in Buffalo. I think I said a couple weeks ago with Jackson that I could not see him getting traded. And just in the last two weeks with the amount of stories that are being written and the amount of press that this is starting to get, it looks more and more realistic by the day. I don't think that the Rangers are the team. I think that there are teams with more salary cap with more options. Um, And I also don't think that they, it's not really in division. It's only in division this year, but still, I think that's a little bit too close to home for to trade a superstar. Um, you also have to remember the Rangers are going to have to sign Shesterkin at the end of this year. And, and he's proven nothing but wanting a big contract at the end of it. So we'll see. I, I don't think the Rangers have the cap space and to do it, but, and I hope I'm right for obvious reasons. Cause if I have to watch him, yeah, we already, I already have to watch a great American player play for the Maple Leafs. So I have to watch the other great American player play for the freaking Rangers. I might lose my mind. So, um, yeah, that's where I stand on Eichel, but it, I still, I think I still would be surprised if he got sent away from Buffalo. I'd be even more surprised if it was to the Rangers. Chris, you mentioned uh, it would have to be Mika's advantage going over to Buffalo, obviously with other pieces. And I agree with you. I think Mika might be the centerpiece for this trade to happen. I think Kako will also have to be involved. I, I think they're going to call, they're going to want Lafreniere, and they're going to hang up the phone which rightfully so is deservable. And then I think they're going to talk again. 
it's going to be Kako. They're going to want a couple first round picks and maybe even Vitaly Kravtsov, who is very good. So I, I think Mika would have to be the centerpiece to this trade as much as that sucks. And, and I love Mika, love him as a player, great person, great to the organization. Obviously, we all know he had that five goal game and, and that's really what sticks sticks with Ranger fans about Mika. But I, I think it, I think if they want to land Jack Eichel, Mika's going to have to head over there because you're not really losing too much after losing Mika if you're getting Jack Eichel, you know? So so I, I think that's going to be 100% part of the trade. And I do think the Rangers are the team to land him. I know he's been rumored maybe Boston, but what Boston doesn't have the young players and the prospects that the Rangers have ordered to give up. I'm hearing maybe um, – uh, Pasternak maybe, but they're not giving they're not giving away pasta. So I so I I think the Rangers are going to be the perfect team for him to come, and we have the pieces, and we'll have to see what what Jeff Gordon does, and let's see if he makes the right moves with this. But you, you're also right about Justerkin; he's he's going to want to get paid, rightfully so, and with the cap space, who knows what's going to happen? We will have to wait and see the trade deadline, April twelfth this year. So it might not even happen. It might, it, it might 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 be next off season. Who knows yet? It could be in the summer, obviously our next season. So we'll have to see. Uh, let's move away from the Rangers. Let's head down to the Island. Um, they, the Islanders have had, they went on that eight game points. You and they've just kind of been up and down since then. And, and that's okay. You know, it's just kind of looks like they're kind of in the dead of winter a little bit just slogging through some overtime losses and some tough games against Pittsburgh and Boston, who will give them tough games for the rest of time and have for, for a very long time now. Um, but now they have a get right week. You know, there's, there's the get right game and then there's the get right week. And the get right week starts with New Jersey tonight and ends with three straight games against Buffalo. Six or seven points is completely realistic out of that week, in my opinion. Do I expect a lot of a lot of the Islanders? Of course I do. I don't think that that I, I think that that is um, you know realistic of me. I, I expect a lot of the Islanders, but anything less than six points doesn't seem like like a good week when you're playing Buffalo three times and you're starting with New Jersey. Uh, they're seven zero and two at home. They're four six and two on the road, so that will have an impact tonight. But we'll see how it goes. But a huge win against Boston, kind of. I feel like righted the ship a little bit and, and showed the NHL world that, that the Islanders and we saw it against the flyers in, in the playoffs, they can really beat anybody on any, any given night. There's no team now where they have no chance for years and years and years. Even when Tavares was on the team, they had no chance to be Boston zero, none, even last year and two years ago when they were great. They had no chance to ever be Boston and they're three and zero against Boston. They never had any chance to be Pittsburgh. They swept Pittsburgh and they haven't played the ball against them this year, but there are teams that they had no chance to be. And now they're crushing them. And they, they re- every single time they step on the ice, they can win the game. And so that's why this get right week as I'm, I've now coined it is just huge for them to go out and get seven points against the two worst teams in the division. Chris, you're calling it a get-right week and a get-right game. I guess technically you can call it a get-right almost two weeks because they have one game against Boston in between the Sabres and then another three-game series against the Devils. So, I mean, why 
why can't they have a good series against Buffalo, potentially win all three of those games? Who knows what happens against Boston? Obviously, um, they could win. They might not win, but then they have three more games against the Devils. What's stopping them from 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 doing that, you know? I mean, th- this is a huge 10, 10, 11 days for them right now. And who knows? Because they're playing well at the moment. They, Like you said, they swept Boston and swept Pittsburgh, but they have to keep that going. They, they can't take their foot off the gas for even a day, especially in this season, shortened season, you know, just everything going on. They, they have to keep the foot down and this is a big week for them. And we have to see if they're able to keep up with that momentum and the energy that they have right now. hundred percent agree. And I think we talked about this with the Atlantic division in previous years, where those top three teams, Tampa, Toronto, and Boston were battling for positioning and, it was, well, whoever, if, you know, one of these teams wins all four games against Detroit and all four games against Ottawa, that they need to do that. They need to get 16 points against those two teams. Well, that's true now for the Islanders and the Rangers and the Devils in this division against especially Buffalo, but New Jersey too, because you're not going to be, they're not going to go seven or eight. No, against Boston. They're not, I would love for them to go seven or eight. No, against Boston. But that, not going. That, that's so unlikely though. That's they're just it. not going to, they're just not going to do that. Right. They're already three and oh, and they're probably going to lose next Tuesday. And that's fine. Uh, I, you know, whatever. But I think you need to beat these, these lesser teams. And we talked about this at length with Toronto and Boston, especially that they were going back and back and forth between two and three of the past couple of years. Beat up on these small teams so that when you lose a game on the road to a team that's just as good as you or better than you, it doesn't destroy you, right? Like in a couple of weeks, they're going to have to go on the road to Philly. Then the next day, they're going to have to go on the road to Boston. Well, if they go on like a seven-game winning streak right here, going even 0-2 in those games is going to feel a lot better than if they go like 5-2 and or 4-3 and again in these next seven games. So I think you're 100% right. And in this division where they're all playing each other all the time, it is very, very hard to make up ground. Very, very hard because teams are playing every night. They're playing against the bad teams. They're playing against each other. And I think that beating Boston three times has, has really put them in a position now to absolutely jump on this easy schedule for the next two weeks because they put themselves right in position with uh, with the tiebreaker over Boston, although it's very early and the tiebreaker is still technically games played, I know. But right in that position to overtake them, overtake Washington, and get into this first spot as of right now. And obviously that will all change when the, the schedule turns and they have a bunch of tough games in a row. But they, I, I, am, I am just foaming at them, just ready for them to absolutely jump this week because – it, it, it needs to happen. You know, they're only two games back of Washington, uh, two points back of Washington, one game back. And if you, if you beat up on the bad teams, you're going to look a little bit better in those standings. And hopefully, hopefully they're able to lock up a one or a two spot in this division, although it seems unlikely, but this will help them a lot. Yeah. I mean, like this week is, it might be the most important week of the season for them because they end the month playing six of their eight games away, two against Boston, two against Pittsburgh, and one against Philadelphia. And then the week before that, they are at Washington playing the Capitals and then two home games, the only two home games they end the seat to end the month against Philly. So that's a tough stretch of eight games right there. If I had to say three of the top teams in the division. So, I mean, if they can't get the job done against these easy teams, I don't know how they're going to be able to pick up that slack that they already lost. 
being two points behind. And I, I'm, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to come back from that if they don't get a certain number of points this week. So, yeah. so for tough, sure, man, it's tough because like you said, it's hard to pick up ground once, once you're down in this league, especially now how all the leagues are put together and how many games. So this, this might be the most important week of the season thus far for the Islanders. Yeah, without a doubt. And it starts tonight against New Jersey, as we said. Uh, tonight is the first night uh, that fans will be allowed in the Prudential Center in, as we said, about a year now, um, which is just crazy. I mean, it's insane it's been that long. But uh, New Jersey lifted their fan restriction yesterday, technically, uh, and tonight, March 2nd, will be the first game with fans. The Islanders, although Governor Cuomo greenlit fans, starting on the 26th, I believe it was. Um, they are not allowing fans back into the building until March 18th. So this is the first game the Islanders are playing in front of fans in a long time. In a long why, uh, why, like, why is that a thing? I don't get it. Why are the Islanders delayed? I have no idea. The only thing I can think of is that they were blindsided by the announcement and they just don't know the logistics of it. I really don't know. I don't have that answer for you. Uh, I was thinking the same thing, too because it just seems like free money that they're just not taking advantage of right now. They've lost out on all this money over the last year. Why would they not take advantage of it the second they're allowed to? There must be a Long Island thing or a building thing or something that we don't know about that is, um, that's going on because I agree with you that the answer should just be easy to let a thousand people in. Um, And even if you did something, I mean, this isn't a basketball podcast, obviously listen to pick and pod, but the Brooklyn Nets, they had 300 fans at their first game. So even if it was something like that, where they were just going to test out their protocols, test out how the because um, I don't know if you've ever been to the new Coliseum or even the old Coliseum because the point ever reigns true. Well, you should go, first of all. Um, I'm offended. But <laughs> the, the concourses are very narrow. Um, and when you go for media, you go in uh, through the media door. And you have to make a left and you have to go about like, if you're standing at six o'clock on the clock, you probably have to go to about two, right? You have to go like around counterclockwise around the building. And if you get there too close to the puck drop, it takes like 15 minutes to get there because it's so crowded. It, it's very narrow. The food is like right there. So the lines are coming out into the thing and then Sparky's out there taking pictures and the, the rescue dogs are out. So it, it's a zoo. Now, obviously they're not going to have any of that and there's only gonna be 1500 people, but there's probably concern with with the narrowness of the Coliseum uh, corridors. Um, that would be my only – that's my only educated guess that isn't just assuming something about Long Island politics that I don't know. So, um, Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a good, good guess to me. I have no idea. Never been there. Don't know any – don't really know much about Long Island, if I'm being completely honest with you. So I don't know – I don't know their, their protocols yeah. or, or whatever. So it just doesn't make – if there's something behind the scenes, sure. But if it's just them choosing to not have fans until March 18th, I'm not understanding that decision. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. The first game with fans, March 18th, um, that's against Philadelphia. So, and that's in that stretch of season, as you mentioned, where they have a lot of tough games and, but we'll, we'll see what goes on there. Um, with the devils. Yeah. As I mentioned, first game with fans, they've been, they've cooled off a little bit, lost a couple games to the caps. Um, they're just kind of overmatched in this division. It looks, it feels like 
you know, they have a couple of, of really good players. Jesper Brat scored an amazing goal the other night. I don't know if you saw that one. He He's on his back foot and just twists a wrister over the goalie shoulder. It was sick. Um, but they, they have a, a few good players, as we mentioned, uh, and they're building. And there's no reason to to discredit them for building and putting together a nice solid team and they'll end up in the lottery. And, you know, hopefully we're, we're talking about another first overall pick in New York because uh, that'd be a fun, you know, draft show for us to do talking about another number one overall pick for the third straight year. Um, which, which, I think that that might be one of the craziest sports draft stories. If either Buffalo or New yeah. Jersey. Well, I mean, New Jersey, so you can't count Buffalo and New Jersey. Though. Yeah, I guess you're like, right. Yeah. If Buffalo wins it this year, then it kind of ruins the whole thing. But yeah, uh, that would be kind of wild. New Jersey won it. And it was three straight years of, of this general area getting the first overall pick. And honestly, it wasn't the Islanders as the terrible team. That mm-hmm. That's kind of odd, too, if you think about it. And the Rangers really, really, really weren't even terrible the last two years when they uh, – I won't get into my conspiracy theories, but I mean, they, into the top two of the draft. Isn't that something? Interesting? They got so lucky last year, making, making it into the bubble, losing, getting swept and then just getting the number one overall pick. I mean that, yeah, it sucks. They, they got swept, but I mean, that couldn't have worked out better for them. Yeah. Yeah. You are, yeah. you are not wrong. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, a lot of good hockey this week. Um, we'll be on the lookout for an Artemi Panarin return. Uh, there's no news regarding that though. There has been there has been Molly Walker put out. She talked to four um, of his ex teammates from from the KHL who said they'd never heard of the altercation. They never heard of anything like that. So so all, all we're hearing right now is that it it's just false. It's yeah, false. I did read that, and Molly Walker has done a really good job with the post uh, covering this whole thing. So if you want to read kind of this synopsis and a lot of really good interviews, go check her out. But um, I did see that. Yeah, just a lot more denying and kind of this is not true stuff going on right now. Um, But other than that, we have no news regarding hockey with our Italian Panarin or, I mean, we don't have any news, but there's no real news to report on, on the political side of it. So the original report was he was going to be out for two weeks. We are now through one week. So that would lead us to believe that next time we speak, we will have news on our Italian Panarin, but you never know. Uh, David David Quinn said today that he talks to him every day and he's been skating. He, he's been keeping himself together and, and they're just waiting, waiting to see what happens and when he's allowed to come back, but he's been skating. He's been keep staying in shape. And so, so he's getting ready. He, yeah. He's ready. I think that is definitely a good sign uh, for the Ranger fan and for Panarin himself. And you hope to see him back on the ice soon because this is unfortunate and not anything that he did or, or, could control that happened to him. And uh, we talked about it in life last week, but uh, really just an unfortunate situation that has him missing a couple of games. Um, Chris, one more thing before, before we head out of here. Um, Trevor's egress. Oh, yes. four games in trying the Michigan for his first NHL goal. What in the world was that? And I absolutely loved it. I mean, uh, I would like to tell you, I'm surprised. Um, not, uh, but yeah, I mean, he is a hell of a hockey player. And um, I think I think he, if you look at it, he totally could have scored if he just wrapped the puck around, by the way. Yeah. Like, he, like he the net was the so open for him to just, just slip it in the back door, goal, first NHL goal, to what ended up – would it end up being like the game-tying goal because they lost 5-4 in regulation. And he tried the Michigan. I think what we're sick. forgetting to talk about here – 
is how incredible the play it is by this goalie. It wasn't even Bennington. I don't remember what the backup goalie in San Luis's name is. But he's on the left post. He drops the blocker, and then he, he drops the stick and goes straight up with the blocker. So he completely saw his Everest Michigan behind him and, and knocks it off his stick. Remarkable play. Uh, yeah, but, I mean. That's that's just insane, man. It was, I, you have to be – you have to be – you have to be really good at hockey and know you're really good at hockey to uh, to pull that one off. My friend, uh, my friend from home, he he's played hockey his whole life, played juniors. Um, mm-hmm. He did the Michigan twice, but he did the other the, the other kind of Michigan where he he like tilts a stick like that and picks the puck up instead of just skating and picking it up as he goes. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was so effortless. It was yeah. Just, he's look, Zegers. I I watched him play a lot. Um, he is an incredible, incredible hockey player. Um, and I think that he has a very, very bright future in this league. We talked about he's a local kid. He's from Bedford. Uh, he went to high school in Connecticut. He um, And he went then went to the National Team Development Program and was a part of the World Junior Team, MVP of the World Junior Team this year. Obviously went off during that. And I mean, he was sick, uh, absolutely sick. And um, But he is he's a v- extraordinary hockey player who has a great, great future in this league. And he makes his NHL debut at nine. I think he turns 20 in a couple of weeks I saw. So man, oh man, I mean, he has, yeah, an incredibly bright future and it would have been nice to see him score his first NHL goal in game four, but uh, he went for the lacrosse goal and it did not work out for him. But um, if he yeah. scores that in a packed house, I could, I could only imagine what I could only imagine what, what would have been yelled and, and how loud that place would have been if he scored yeah. his first goal like that. No doubt. I mean, uh, we've talked about this off air many times, but um, I was fortunate to watch Trevor and Spencer Knight uh, and Tyler Madden, who's a LA Kings prospect in person for, well, for Zegers tonight, it was one year for Madden. It was two because uh, they went to my high school before they went to the national team development program. And um, when a packed barn sees one of those two guys score a goal like that, it's uh, it's, it's something special. So when those guys get to well, Madden gets to the Kings and um, Zegers gets the, or he is on the Ducks, but when the, the Ducks get the fans in the building, um, you will you will see some some showstoppers from those two guys. If it's anything like high school, obviously it's the pros, so it's not you know a guarantee. But um, and I will stand by something that I've told definitely Caldwell and Jackson, uh, and I'm sure you off air that Spencer Knight will have the best career out of the three of those guys, um, hands down, because he is the best high school athlete I've ever seen in person and probably ever will. Um, he's an incredible, incredible goalie um, who led the team to the world junior uh, gold medal this year. So he's already on his way to a great pro, pro career, but that's me waxing poetic about high school hockey. And that uh, is not what you brought us here to do. So um, that's going to do it for this week's five on three. Uh, he's Mike Messina. I'm Chris Hennessy. We'll talk to you uh, next week.